If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Hey friends, welcome back to the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. We are currently in a series on the book of Ezra. And so this particular series will last for 10 straight episodes and we'll do a summary of the book of Ezra and some commentary on the book. We'll also set up a new series after this that will be on the book of Nehemiah. So you'll get a chance to be able to see this part of history and also be able to see the application for us in the church today. We hope you enjoy it. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ezra. We're in chapter 5, Ezra chapter 5. And I uh, want to thank you so much for your comments and thoughts that you have made over the course of this series. I know that whenever an announcement is made that uh, we're going to be talking about an Old Testament book, sometimes people get a little apprehensive about it and say, oh, I don't know, that, that seems kind of difficult. And I will tell you that one of the reasons why uh, studying through some books in the Old Testament seem difficult or daunting is because we just simply haven't done it before. Um, not long ago, uh, we were over here in the, in the uh, fellowship hall shooting baskets. It was probably about two years ago. And uh, my youngest, who turned 16 today, uh, had never played basketball with me longer than just a few minutes. And we were playing a full game. And he said, I don't really know how to play basketball that well. I said, well, your, dad, your granddad and your uncle would be ashamed of me for not teaching you how to play basketball better because uh, this year they just honored them for winning their, their first uh, state championship, and my, my uncle and my, my dad were on that team. And so we, basketball was a big thing in our house. And uh, he said, I just never played basketball that much. And I thought, well, we got to get in there. we gotta, we got to start playing. So now he plays very, very well. But it takes time. Sometimes uh, we're unfamiliar with things. It's not because we're not smart. It's not because uh, we haven't applied ourselves. It's not because we've read it a few times and it didn't stick. Anything that we want to do well, it takes practice and it takes time. And I submit to you that the stories we heard as children in Bible class about Jonah and about Noah and about David and Goliath, that's just the hem of the garment. There are so many great stories and texts in the Old Testament. So we're going to study uh, through Ezra over these next few weeks. We started about a month ago, and uh, we're going to do our best to take one chapter at a time. And I look forward to our time together tonight as we focus on this particular chapter. I've entitled this chapter, The Renewed Efforts for the Restoration. So let's refresh our memory from where we left off two weeks ago. Basically, there were papers given to the governors, and it's not just one. There's a succession of four different governors in power that the individuals considering themselves to be half-Jews, that would be the Samaritans, and a handful of other neighbors, 
had petitioned the king in Persia to have them stop the work. And the reason why they got the work stopped was because they told some things that were half-truths. And what I mean by half-truths is this. They said, if you, king, will go and look in the annals or the chronicles of your people or of the Babylonians, you will find that these people were troublemakers. You will find that they worship one god. They don't serve all the other gods that we do. That's technically true. They did only worship one god. And it is technically true that they have caused a few problems because they refused to bow down to these images. And keep in your mind that some of those prior individuals included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and so forth. So whenever they write to the king and they say, you've sent them here to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, you've sent them here to rebuild the temple, do you really know what you're doing? These people cause trouble. Again, it's kind of true. But the reason why it's important for us when we talk about it today is there will be people that will dig into our past you ever had people do that? You talk to somebody and they say, well, I hadn't seen you in 20 years. I hadn't seen you in 40 years. Back when we, and you go, no, 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 I don't, I, that's not me anymore. That's not me. Uh, we were at Rogersville Church Christ Sunday, last Sunday, and there was this little girl, she came up to me, and of course the kids that were in the youth group when I were there now are adults and have children. And this little girl comes up, she's probably 15. She's like, you're Ray Reynolds. I said, yeah. I said, yeah. And we met. She's like, oh, you're legendary. I said, legendary? Wow, that's a big word. She said, we still talk about you at Happy Hollow Bible Camp. And I'm like, oh, what stories? So I proceed to tell a couple stories. None were the stories that she was going to tell me. And, of course, one of our elders and uh, one of the men there, he's not an elder, but he's, he's, he's one of the leaders of the church. And he's like, I didn't even know that story. <laughs> I didn't know that story. I said, well, I wish I hadn't told it. But we were talking about just funny things that happened at camp. And so finally I said, what, do, what, do you, what is it that you heard? And she goes, you would go to the top of the, um, there's a, like a domed area where the, where the wreck area was, where we all met and had devotionals. And she said, you would get up there early in the morning and ring the bell until they had to physically remove you off the bell. And I said, yeah, that was me. <laughs> and so they, they still, to this day, after whew, 30 years, they make jokes about that because we had problems with kids not getting up and coming up to the front. And if they didn't get up there in time, breakfast is late. And, oh, you don't want to have late breakfast. I needed that breakfast. And so I would ring that bell and ring that bell and ring that bell that you could hear it for two counties. And I would ring it until literally the guys from my cabin or the counselors would physically remove me off the bell because I knew that there were going to still be kids in their bed not getting up to come eat. The director never got on to me. He thought it was great. He was my uncle. He didn't mind. And so that's what, that's what I was known for at Happy Hall. I was the bell ringer. And I would ring that bell and ring that bell. Um, it became a, kind of a joke afterwards when I left because I would, I would tell the kids, when I'm gone, the bell will ring itself. And I came back as a counselor one year, and I tied fishing line to the rope and hid in the trees. And they came up the hill, and that bell was just ringing and ringing, and there's nobody there. And I said, yeah, I told you. When I'm gone, that bell's going to ring. And so the bell still rings. I don't know who rings it, but it's the legendary, you know. But anyway, sometimes people will want to talk to you about things in your past, who you were, what you did, how you lived, the sins that you committed. 
In this story, unfortunately, the Jews are heavily persecuted because of something that happened 70 years prior, 80 years by this point prior to the events that take place here. And so they have to go through all of this paperwork and all of these visits, and they basically have to re- Uh, purpose their vision so that the king will let them continue to build and that's where we left off last time is these kings are going hey we keep getting letters about you and we think you need to stop working we need to stop building this 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 uh this wall and this temple so we come to verse one through five and again i want to point out the contemporaries remember there are prophets who prophesied at this time two of them we'll see in this chapter is anybody else hot I'm like, a red, red shirt, yeah. All right. Is it too cold? Yeah. So I'm up here like, all right. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. At the same time, Tetaniah, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosnai and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing and building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till the report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. So I'll give you a little bit, again, I gave you a little bit of background of how we get to this point. I want you to notice that the work is still unfinished. It still needs to be done. The walls aren't done. The temple's not done. There are pieces that needed to be put into place. And it seems like they were getting towards the end of the construction. And that's really frustrating. When you're starting to build something and you get it nearly completed and you, something happens and you can't finish the project, maybe you, you, know, you have an injury, you hurt your leg, your knee, your arm, you maybe funds run out, and you get to that point where you're looking at this structure Every day. And they're wanting to begin to worship, remember? Ezra is trying to get them together to worship God. They're trying to reinstate the feast days, all these great things. And yet, they had this constant reminder that the work wasn't done. So, I love this. Under the blessing of the elders, the prophets get to work. They get out there and they start hammering and they start building. And notice that the people don't like it just like they didn't like it before. And I'm going to give you a newsflash. It wouldn't have mattered if they had a letter from Darius. It wouldn't have mattered if they had a letter from the Pharaoh. Okay? That work needed to be completed and the people nearby didn't want it to happen. So eventually somebody had to have some fortitude and some backbone to pick up a hammer and get to work. And so it is the prophets, the preachers, if you will, that say, we're not going to talk about the goodness of God. We're not going to talk about the greatness of God. We're not going to talk about all the things God used to do or could do now or will do in the future. We're going to grab a hammer and we're going to get to work. And I love that. This is the turning point in Ezra. When they say they're going to defy the leaders of their land. They had personally spoke to Darius. These leaders are sending letters. We're going to have another one here. They send letters to complain. 
Send letters. When I have people that send me letters to complain, if they don't have their name on it, do you know where I file it? With hefty. I file it with hefty, okay? The drawstring kind. I don't need, if you're not going to leave, if you're not going to put a name on it, I'm not going to read it. I might read the first two lines. If it says something nice, I might finish it. Um, but if somebody says something that's critical or negative or harmful or hurtful, we should dismiss it. Don't engage. And so these guys say, we have listened to all this yang yang back and forth. We have listened to these guys come and gripe about the wall. We've heard them griping about the temple, about how they have their temple now. And remember I mentioned a few weeks ago, this is the differences between the Jews and Samaritans. The Jews worshipped in Jerusalem and the Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim. That's the conversation with the woman at the well in John 4. So they know this is where God wants to be worshipped. They know this is the exact ground where the temple once stood. And the prophets say, we're getting to work. And so they have the blessing of the elders to get to work. Eventually, you know, we, we all talk about what somebody could do or anybody could do, but nobody does it. And so here we get to work. And this is where these prophets are saying, we're not just going to speak the word of God, we're going to do the will of God. And it comes from a position of sincerity and genuineness that they want the job completed. So let me pause here for just a moment and take some thoughts and questions regarding this. If you see something that is not completed over and over and over, and you have the willingness to do it, at what point are you going to pick up a hammer? At what point are you going to pick up the toolbox and get to work? At some point, somebody has got to do it. When you see something that's unfinished, when you see something that's not completed, how does it make you feel? Anybody? How do you feel? See, some of you are thinking, I've got some. Yeah, I've got to get it done. What else do you think? Mm-hmm. What's that? Anxious, yeah. Nervous. What do the neighbors think? You ever started a flower bed or a, or a garden? Rains? That's the first excuse usually. It is annoying and depressing. I mentioned a few weeks ago about the Tower of Shame that was in our neighborhood. What if you're the one who stopped? What makes you stop a project? Okay, we're too busy. Lose interest, priorities. What's that? Yeah, it's too hot. Then it's too cold. I don't have air conditioning. And my shop does have an air unit, but I said, oh, when it cools off, now it's too cold, you know. But we have excuses, and that's the reason why things don't get done, is excuses. It can be a great excuse. It can be a great excuse. I was doing some great work out in the yard, and then I got this bunion, you know. That's a good excuse. You don't want to be on your feet. It hurts. You know, I twisted my ankle, I, whatever. Sometimes our excuses, but, but then it gets to the point that they just kind of roll together. Excuse rolls into excuse, and excuse, and excuse. And at some point, you have to decide when you're going to restart. You ever started something and just decided you just quit altogether? I'm not even going to touch it. I'm gonna, I did that one time. We had a couple trees to go up. I started one. I said, man, you only need one Christmas tree in the house. 
we only going to put one tree up. We put several up now, but that year I said one tree. That's it. When you start something, finish it. That's, that's biblical. Whatever your hand finds to do, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, do it with all your might. Complete it. That's a, this is a hard one for me. It's a hard one because I am the type of person that I can start a task. Misty and I both were like this. We're both like this. We'll start a task, we get so excited, and then we'll go into the next room and go, oh yeah, I forgot to put away such and such. And then you put that thing away in that room and go, oh, I forgot to make the bed. Oh yeah, well, the, well I got to make the bed because now I got to get the laundry out of the dryer. And you put the laundry from the dryer on the bed, and oh, we got to fold the laundry now. And it's like, what were we doing? We were cleaning the garage. And I've gotten so many jobs like that where I start something else. And so the, the, the idea is when there's something that needs to be cleaned, if it is... If it needs to be completed and it's important enough, we'll get it done. We'll do it. Uh, I have a phrase. My kids hate it. I say, we do what we want to do. Most people say, eh, well, I didn't. no, you do what you want to do. Well, I didn't really want to do that today. Well, you did it because you know why? You wanted to do it. You chose that thing over something else. We only do what we want to do. Well, I don't like doing that, but you did it, didn't you? You did it. So we choose priorities. God always comes first. These people were building paneled houses. They had no problem with building a fence around their yard and feeding their cattle. But the prophets say, it's great, you got a nice place. Haggai's going to deal with this in his book, by the way. you got a nice home, that's wonderful. But the temple of the Lord is in ruins. It's in ruins. A quick sideline story. I love this story, and I've told it here, and I'll tell it again. When we had Sally come through, and the building had a lot of damage, uh, we went up here to Redbeard, which is our favorite little antique store. If you hadn't been there, you need to go. They're not paying me for an advertisement, but it's the best. And uh, the owner said, uh, we noticed your steeple. You started putting it up, and it came down again. And I said, yeah, we had another hurricane, took the steeple down. And they sent a check to the church because they said, we want to see that steeple back up. It's a pillar of the community, and y'all are doing so much good up there, taking meals and so forth, and that we were working, and we were working, and we were working, and we were trying to get the building constructed so that we could get back in and worship. The devil likes to tear things down. The devil likes to destroy. The Lord is a God not of confusion, but of peace, and of unity, and of love. And so if something needs to be done, and it has a good you know, notion to it, it's in, in the right motive, it's in the right biblical framework, then it needs to be completed. It needs to be finished. Any thoughts before we go to verse 6? Anybody got any questions? All right, let's dig in. This is the copy of the letter that Tadaniah sent. And this is the letter he sent into Darius. The governor of the region beyond the river and Shethar Bosnia and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river to Darius the king... And then here's brackets, Ezra's telling you a little survey, says they sent this letter to him, and it was written just like this. To Darius the king, all peace, people always lead with that. If somebody ever says to you, you know, I, I want to talk to you about something, and then they start with a compliment, I'm always wondering what comes next. You know, they come in, you know, you, you, you look so sweet, uh-oh, what's coming next? There's a but coming here. I always get nervous about that. People, it's great to have a compliment, but they start, 
If somebody says, we come in peace, they're not coming in peace. All peace, Darius. <laughs> yeah. They did that at Walmart to us this year. Was it this year? This year we were at Walmart putting in some groceries, and this lady walks up. She goes, y'all have a nice car. And we said, thank you. She goes, what, what is this again? I just told her. And I had not picked up on it. Misty already picked up on it. And she's like, y'all, that's right. It, had, it was the same lady, wasn't it? We think it's the same way. Yeah, but <laughs> she says, uh, she says, y'all going to have a good Christmas this year, aren't you? And I was like, oh, that's when it got me. I was like, yeah, well, we hope so. And she's like, well, we don't have any money for Christmas. We're living out of that car right over there. And uh, when we got finished with her, we gave her some cash. But when she walked away, her son or boyfriend or somebody, the other guy was with her, was going to another car doing the same thing. And that's, that's a tough one. It's really tough because we're, we're called to help people and, and do good work. I think sometimes if I help somebody and they do something else with it, that's on them. It's not on me. But, um, you know, be a blessing. You'll always feel better for doing it. Um, in fact, it's better not to even ask questions. Just walk away. But some people will start with a compliment and then they have a different tactic. And that's what's happening here. Oh, we're peaceful people. Darius, you know, we've never caused any trouble. And then he gets into the meat. Verse 8, let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timbers is being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Now, I'm going to pause here. I'd like to read the whole thing, but this, I want to get to it before I forget. This is how you do it. This is how, if you want to be manipulative with your words, this is how you do it. Oh, king, peace, we love you. We, we, just, we just happen to be, we just happen to be over in the region and they got that temple of the great God, you know. And remember Darius and his dignitaries thought of him as a god. They thought of their gods that were all around him. Oh, that temple that you gave approval to, you remember that temple of the great God? And then he goes in and he says, they're building this with heavy, he doesn't say stone. You ever have your kids come in, you know, and I say, he about knocked my head off, you know. She hit me so hard, you know, and you say, well, really, really? Uh, you just, just basically bump them and they, he broke my arm, you know. That's the story here, is this his little brother who's come back to town to build a temple. And they say, he's dragging in. All these heavy stones, just like your kids come in and say, she just tore apart that bedroom. She just, she's got stuff everywhere. You know, it's like two items out. Exaggeration, manipulation, heavy stones, and timbers being laid in walls. In other words, they're making a fortified wall. This isn't just something that can blow over. They're saying that they are making it strong and sturdy. Why? Because he wants them to think, he wants Darius to think that they're going to build a fortress and they're going to destroy uh, the Persians just by building a temple. And they work diligently on it. And it prospers, successful. Verse 9. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, Who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of men who were the chief among them. And thus they returned to us an answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago 
which a great king of Israel built and completed. Pause. These people had built this temple before to their great God. And you know what they did with it? They honored a king. Now, what does that mean to Darius? They're planting seeds that they're going to build a huge temple, huge walls, fortified city, and they're going to reappoint a king. Well, if you are a king of the land, you don't want a rival king. How dare them? They didn't say that to me. They said they were going to go rebuild the temple. And they're saying, well, the last time they did this, they had this great king, and they're not going to talk about Darius. You know what they're going to talk about? David has slain his thousands, and Darius... His hundreds, you know. They're going to they're gonna mock you, Darius. This is the king, David, that they're speaking of. And then Solomon, right after that. Solomon, a great king. says, uh, But the work of our fathers, verse 12, provoked the God of, of heaven to wrath. He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However... In the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also, gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to one man named Sheshbazar whom he had made governor. And he said to them, take these articles, go carry them into the temple site that's in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction and still sets unfinished. Now, therefore, it seems good to the king to let a search be made of the king's treasure house, where there is in Babylon, whether it is so that decree was issued by King Cyrus to build the house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure concerning the matter. Dripping with sarcasm and arrogance. But notice some of the things that appear in the letter. They say, this has happened before, king, and now it's happening on your watch. And not only have you told them it's okay to build this, or not you, but your predecessor has said it's okay to build this, let me tell you what he did. He dipped into the treasury. So now they're saying you're going to have a rival king, and you're going to have a rival throne, and you're going to have a rival city, and you're going to have a rival house of worship and a a god to be worshipped. But one more thing, by the way, he took out of your pocketbook... These treasuries that were taken, and it's because they said, our God, remember these Samaritans considered themselves to serve the same God. God was so angry with these people that he put them into captivity. I mean, if their God was that angry, and their God let the temple be destroyed, then why are you letting it be rebuilt? They're giving him every excuse to not build that temple. And so then they say, here's what you need to do. At least what we would do if we were a wise king like you. Go search and see if these things are true. Go look in the records. Now, what is this? What is this? What are they doing? It's called a stall tactic. Uh, It happens regularly in houses of Congress, okay? And you know what they call it? A filibuster, okay? I don't know where that name came from. Do a little research and tell me, because I'd love to have that question on Jeopardy. Where did the filibuster come from? That's what they're doing. They're, They're taking time... And they're saying, 
Go search the Chronicles and see what happened. Go search the history. Go into the marketplace. Go into this place. Go into the treasury. They're basically stalling the work in Jerusalem until they can come up with a better tactic. They've tried to turn the king against them and the people against them, and, the, and it seems to be working. Now, when he talks about the treasury, remember a couple chapters ago, we talked about how uh, the king basically said to them, when Babylon was in charge, remember now it's the Persians, when Babylon was in charge and, and Nebuchadnezzar took you guys into captivity, he destroyed your temple and took all your stuff. And as a sign of good faith, it, you're not going to do something crazy, we're going to give you all those items back. So the lampstand, uh, probably the Ark of the Covenant, all the things that were necessary that had either not been hidden or had not been saved by some of the Jews, was taken out of their treasury and given back. So in a way, it would be like this, if I can use this illustration. It would be like us going into a land and kicking out all the bad guys and bringing them in and putting them in prison, and a new leader comes to power and says, we're so sorry, we shouldn't have done that. Here you go. Go on back. Oh, you need a government check to go rebuild your temple? Go right ahead. Oh, and we've got some things that was stolen from your great-grandpa, and we're going to give it back to you. Now, that's a gross illustration, but it is correct. And that's the way the Samaritans and some of the Persians looked at it. The Jews were their enemies. They destroyed the temple for a reason. Their God turned their back on them. So why are you trying to help them? So it's going to make the king sit back and ponder. Darius is going to say, well, that's a good question. I don't know why we let this happen. And this is how good work stops. Good work stops. Great things happening. It's, it's awesome. Great things are happening in your life. And then the yang yang starts, you know. Then the complaining starts. Then the gossip starts. Then all the things that are speaking of hatred and negativity start. And you know what happens? You put your hammer down. And you get involved in corrupt communication. These men wanted, and, and the people quit, basically. Most of the people quit. They were so tired of all the Samaritan talk that they quit. They just went and worked on their house. And the prophets say, we're not going to do this. We're going to pick up our hammers, we're going to pick up our tools, and we're going to get to work. And I, 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 I say this to caution. A lot of great things happen in our lives, in the church. Why is it? that things begin to take a different turn. Well, that's the devil. The devil wants the work to stop. And the devil is using the Samaritans to make it stop. They should just keep on working. Now, the other thing, too, to bring into this about the prophets, if Darius had shown up on a horse and saw the prophets at work, do you think the prophets would have been afraid even just a little bit? Do you think that these guys could have been in trouble for building? They told previous chapter to stop. Don't you think they might get in trouble for building? Uh, a friend of mine, I, I mentioned several months ago, uh, in Canada, the police were there on the front steps of the church and told them to dissolve because they were told to have, what, 30 people and they had 32. And the government told them, you will shut down this place of worship and you will not meet again. And there are times that we have to take into consideration the fact that the Lord's church, the, if you will, the government shall be upon his shoulders. That's Jesus, remember? Isaiah 9. At Christ's church, 
Christ's rule as the, the king, the head of the church, comes first. And so if our, and I know I'm online, if our government says you can't worship anymore, we have a choice we have to make. If our government says you cannot use baptistries anymore, you can no longer offer open communion, you can no longer have a, a place, a house of worship, you can no longer make disciples, and that's going to be one thing that will come down the road is, is governments will say you can worship if you want, but if you go out here on the streets and try to convince people to come in, we'll shut you down. That's kind of what's happening here. Is the government's having to make a decision. Do we permit it? Do we allow it? And so I hope that this never happens in our lifetime, that we just saw a smaller case of this. What happens when the people in power say, no, you can't. You cannot worship. You cannot serve. You cannot proselyte. And we have to make that choice. Now, it's easy to make that choice in a, I would say air-conditioned, but it's not air-conditioned tonight. In a nice padded seat, you know, fairly cool room for most people. Uh, having a nice light, so we got PowerPoint, we've got classes for all ages. Uh, we drove an, a car here, most of us, or a motorcycle. I don't know, Joel, did you take a motorcycle tonight? No, okay. Driving in a car, you know, so we have, we have an opportunity to come to worship, and we have clothes to wear, and we have a nice house, and so forth. We have these blessings, so we can take a seat in our indulgences, and say, well, if that happens, I will, you know, I will keep it first. I'll put the Lord first. But will we when persecution comes? The prophet's easy. Uh, he's a man of God. I'm going to do this, and if I get punished, I get punished. What about his wife at home? His kids? His mother-in-law, you know? You sure you want to do this? You sure? His dad. Son, are you sure this is something you really want to do? The conversation behind the scenes that we don't see could have been, don't do this. But the elders say we're going to do it. The prophets say they're going to do it. And they do it. What fears do you think they have? What are they thinking? What would you be thinking? They've shut you down once. They're going to shut you down again. Do you keep going? Yeah, how do you get out of it? How do you find a political ground, some middle ground? What about if we only build on Tuesdays, you know? Could we, could we make a, could we agree that we'll build on certain days and not on certain days? Uh, none of that is considered in the text. It was grab a hammer, get to work. Grab a hammer, get to work. Um, so they do. They begin to get to work on the problem. Uh, who is to blame for all of the confusion? Who is to blame for all of the uh, letters and messages to the king? The Samaritans. And why are the Samaritans so angry at the Jews? Anybody have an idea as to why? Right. Yeah. They're inching in more and more on the property that they thought was theirs. They had claimed. Any of you ever have to share a room with a sibling? Okay. You ever had to share a room with your parents? I had two in one house. We all slept in the living room. That was tough. Missy and I being in Missouri last week, we drove by the house where we shared a bedroom, my brother and I did, 
And we hadn't shared a room for a little while. And when we got in there, I had the bottom bunk, he had the top bunk. Well, he thought everything from like this high up was his, including the ceiling fan. Oh, no. No, you can tell how I'm doing up here, you know. I'm just, uh, you don't control the ceiling fan. Well, that's my, that's my part. There was an old TV series on Disney Channel called Live and Maddie. They were funny, but the boys were much funnier. And uh, the one that was on the top bunk built Skylandia. He built his own world above the ground. He owned everything above the top. But my brother and I would fuss and fight about this is mine, this is mine, this side of the closet's mine. You've got, we had a little bar in the middle, so his side of clothes went this way, mine went this way. Well, he'd use one of my hangers. That's my hang. We had to have color-coded hangers. So you understand the struggle of being able to share a space where you're both entitled to the space the Samaritans had basically had their run of everything. And now the Jews come back and they say, we're taking back all that is ours. Well, you've been gone for 70 years. It's kind of like if you sat at the dinner table at my house and you're gone for 10 minutes, I'm sorry. Yeah, we, you may have had one piece of cake left, but it's gone. You get up and you leave the table, it's gone. The cattle that were left were already eaten. The houses that they were in were already either taken down or repopulated. Everything that they left was abandoned, and they took it over. And so one of the things we see here in the letter is, they're saying, hey, if the king gave back all their stuff, what are we supposed to do? If you, as the king, have told them they can have the land where the temple is, and you've given them all the gold and all the silver out of the temple, what about the stuff that we've been taking care of and maintaining all these years? It wasn't a Jew out there plowing that ground for the last 70 plus years. It was Samaritans. How dare you, they don't say this, but they're thinking it. How dare you, king, tell them they can come back and take over property that we've been working on, that's been ours. Um, and this is, this is even a difficult thing, even in our world today, is we, we come in and we, we start to work on something, a neighbor comes in and they start to put a fence up and you go, oh, no, 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 no. You can't put it there because my property's here. Oh, no, my, and then you got to go get a survey and you got to go get an attorney and, you know, this is my boundary. This is where I am. This is where you are. The Samaritans are saying none of it belongs to them anymore. None of it does. They have no right to this property. And I suggest to you, even though this story takes place a few hundreds before Christ, a few hundred years, they're still having this fight today. To this very day, you will look at the news or watch the news and you will see that this country of Israel is still fighting with their neighbors as to which property is theirs. We tried to draw a line. You know, we had a mediator come in and said, okay, you heard of the Camp David Accords? You know, we tried for years to bring mediation to these things. Was to come in and we'll have a president say, okay, we're going to draw a line. You get this, you get this. Everybody good? Good. Shake hands, walk away. And they walk away going, I'm going to come back for that piece of land. No, you aren't. And then here they go, shooting missiles at each other again. It sounds so selfish, so silly, but this is the way it's always been. Fighting for what we think is ours. Taking something that we think should belong to us. And uh, there's got to be justice. There has to be justice for it. So God is, God is settling the deal. He's allowing the Jews to come back even though he knows that they are going to implode. Because if you keep reading in through the prophets, you're going to see they come back to the same things. They're going to start worshiping idols again, and all these things are going to happen. But 
I love this chapter because it tells me that if the leaders are ready to work, everybody else will come in line. They will work. It just takes somebody with the fortitude to step up and go, y'all can sit over here and argue at the wall if you want. You can send all your little letters off to the king, but I got a hammer and I know how to use it. My grandpa, when he was a carpenter, he could drill, he could nail a, a nail in a shingle or in a piece of two before with two hits. Tap, hit, tap, hit, tap, hit. I tried that a few times. My thumb was not very happy that I tried it a few times, but I would try to tap, hit, tap, hit, and he could nail it. And sometimes if he had started it, he'd just wham, wham, wham. He could put those nails in just one at a time. He could really get to work, and he could move faster. He could be more efficient because he had experience. But somebody has to take up the hammer here. Somebody has to get to work. It's the same thing in the church today. If we want something done, we've got to get to work. We've got to put the boots to the ground, as they say. It's time to get moving. Let's put our money where our mouth is. You know, we, we, we don't just talk about doing good stuff. We want to go do good stuff. And I'm not going to talk about how we need to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. Um, it's not just about what we should do. It's what we're going to do. And that's the reason why they succeed. So let me pause again. Any questions or thoughts about chapter 5? How do you think their letter is going to be received by Darius? Some of you have already read chapter 6. Uh, how do you think the king is going to re receive this message? How do you receive message when you have a tattleteller, you know? When, huh? Yeah, get on out of here. Yeah. Mom, he hit me, you know. She did this. I, that's one of the things about subbing at school with the little kids, it's so hard because 90% of your job is dealing with who did what, you know. Did you put, I told you, to get your eraser out of your ear, you know, and you're just, it's all the time, just all this crazy stuff going on. Immaturity, and Darius has got to think, he is like a mom of a bunch of toddlers. You know, he's had, he's quintuplets out here arguing and fussing, and he's saying, just stop for a minute, but this is what happens when good things begin to happen. When God's work is beginning to succeed, there will always be individuals that try to throw things off. And the Samaritans are going to pay a penalty for it. They're going to end up being really hated by the Jews after this. This is the reason why they wouldn't walk through the cities in Samaria. It's because of this stuff. Because their, their grandparents told them for years, you know the Samaritans that live over there? Go worship at Mount Gerizim. You know them? Your grandpa, your great-grandpa was out here trying to build that fence, and it took them years to do it because all they did was come over here and complain. And they, boo, you know, uh, bad. They're bad. They're evil. They're wicked. And so each generation builds more uh, frustration and, and anger towards that generation. And so this is where we have to be as, as the church. We, it's, it has to be taught. Things are taught. We have to teach our children when they're small about loving your neighbor, about being kind to people, about uh, wanting to make sure that everything is done fairly and correctly, rightly. Kids are usually pretty good about that. If you, if you start a game, they'll be quick to tell you what's not fair. And so we try to set guidelines and rules that keep things fair. And that's what Darius is trying to do. How can he make this work for both sides and unfortunately, when you try to separate two people, 
you're in the middle. And he's going to end up getting letter after letter after letter. I'm sure every time one came in, we got another Samaritan letter. You read it. I'll read it in the morning, you know. That's how I do it, bad news. I don't want to, they left me a voicemail. I know it's going to be bad. I'm not going to listen to it until the morning. Got to put it off. Uh, But anyways, they're going to succeed. Don't worry, they're going to build it back. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.